0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. We got a big show today, but before we dive in, I want to get into some items of business, four of them specifically. I think they're going to be of uh, high interest given this moment of high anxiety we're in right now. Because of because of all the anxiety, uh, this is a moment where we at ten percent really want to step up, and so we're going to offer a bunch of free resources that I want to highlight before we before we dive into our our guest. First, uh, this podcast is now for the foreseeable future. To the best of our ability, we're going to go to twice weekly. We're going to be digging in on all aspects of coping with this crisis. Today, we're doing parenting, but we're also going to talk about. How to work from home successfully, how to maintain your romantic relationships under s- deeply suboptimal circumstances. We're going to talk about the loneliness in this era of social distancing and much more. Uh, we're also going to just bring on big name meditation teachers to, to let them blast us with wisdom at a time when we very much need it. So if you have ideas uh, for people you'd like to have on the show or topics you'd like us to cover, hit me on Twitter at Dan B. Harris. Second thing we're doing is a grand experiment uh, that we dreamed up and turned into reality in a matter of days called 10% Happier Live or TPH Live. Uh, It's uh, every weekday at 3 Eastern, noon Pacific. We're going to do a live sanity break where I'm going to be speaking with one of the world's best meditation teachers We start with five minutes of meditation led by the the teacher, and then we take questions from the audience. So if you want to tune into this, it's uh, 10percent.com slash live, T-E-N-P-E-R-C-E-N-T dot com slash live I'll, we'll put the link in the show notes to this episode or you can just go to youtube and search for 10 Percent happier you can find it and when i say we've got big teachers we really got big teachers for example thursday this week it's sharon salzberg friday it's jack cornfield and we're in conversations with amazing people to come on the show uh, again for the foreseeable future we're just going to do this well while, while we're at this moment of 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 anxiety. Uh, The third thing I want to tell you about is that we've got a whole bunch of free meditations and talks specifically designed to help you right now. We're going to drop some of these meditations and talks. And by talks, I mean just five to 10 minute kind of mini podcasts from all sorts of experts and meditation teachers uh, on a whole bunch of useful practical topics. Uh, We'll be dropping some of them into this podcast feed, but you can also access all of them either in the, in the 10% Happier app where, where they will be available for free, or if you go to 10%.com, uh, you'll see a quick link that we're highlighting very prominently on the page. You just click that link and it'll take you to all of the stuff. And you can go back and check it frequently because we're updating it all the time. Fourth and final thing I want to tell you about is if you are a healthcare worker uh, or if you know one, we are offering the app for free for six months. Uh, first of all, I just want to personally thank you for your work and your bravery if you're a healthcare worker. Uh, second, I know because I was raised by healthcare workers and I'm married to one that you need a break sometimes. So that's why we're giving the, the app away for free for this period of time. So hit us at care at 10%.com. Care at 10%.com. That's an e- just send us an email there. Again, we'll put this email address inside the show notes. Care at 10%.com and we'll take care of you. Okay. Our guest this week is Susan Kaiser Greenland. Uh, She's a former hard-charging corporate lawyer who transformed herself through a lot of very deep meditative training uh, and a lot of hard work into one of the best-known, most qualified experts in the world when it comes to teaching meditation to kids, teenagers, and parents. She wrote a whole book about this called Mindful Games, uh, which is filled with all sorts of practical meditation tips for kids and parents. And we go We dive very deeply into those practical tips here. This person is a font of wisdom. She has the ability, as you're about to hear, to get super practical about techniques for teaching meditation to kids at all sorts of different ages, from very young kids to teenagers. And these are meditation techniques that can be done sort of formally and informally. Same with parents, formal and informal practices. She also has thoughts about how to work with kids who have ADHD and thoughts about how parents can deal more successfully with one another while we're on this kind of lockdown here. Uh, But beyond the practicality, she also has an ability to kind of uh, transcend the details and talk in, in, I think, deeply fascinating and useful ways about this moment in human history. Uh, One final thing to say before we dive in, uh, just a quick audio note here. In the name of social distancing, I'm now recording from home and I don't yet have all the systems up and running to do so um, at the highest quality, so in this uh, interview you 're going to hear that my audio is not perfect it 's totally you you can hear it uh, it 's just not going to be as good as it normally is um, because we usually record in a studio. Susan, however uh, happily has a, a big fancy mic, so she she sounds great and I promise we 're going to get better uh, at this as we go so thank you for your forbearance and here we go here 's susan kaiser greenland
1: i don 't think in my lifetime I have ever seen a situation quite this extreme that pertains to families across the board but i think that provides both a challenge and an opportunity you know i'm not going to pretend that this is a good thing i'm not going to pretend that it's not going to be very very difficult for families to navigate for any one of a of a hundred reasons that we could go through but i think that this is something that those of us who have been meditating have in some ways been preparing for on the cushion for as long as we have sat on the cushion or for those of us who practice mindfulness in the uh, dropping brief moments of awareness throughout the day. That's also been excellent practice for this because the challenge that we have is to contain anxiety, our own and that of those around us. And the opportunity we have is to put into practice in a very concrete way these themes and these principles and these methods that come from classical contemplative training that are intended to do exactly what we need right now, which is to become aware, notice when our nervous systems are are ratcheting up a little bit when we get a little bit overly upregulated and to integrate real-world strategies that we know that are mindfulness-based and awareness-based that help to downregulate our nervous system. Because what happens is when we are upregulated a little bit too much. Uh, there's something called an arousal curve. And we, we need a certain amount of nervous system regulation to be up at the top of that curve. And then we're open, receptive, ready to learn. And that amount of nervous system regulation we need to get up there varies depending on the person and varies depending on the day per person. But if we get a little bit overly regulated, then what happens is we slip down on either side of that curve. We either slip down into the uh, fight or flight mode which is something we're very familiar with seeing when kids or with parents start getting snappish and agitated, or we slip into the other mode, which is freeze, where kids start withdrawing or sometimes they look defiant. And we see, you know, especially teenagers, we'll see a behavior in them that we think is defiant, but actually is really just overwhelmed. So these mindfulness-based strategies are an opportunity for us to implement compassionate and wise responses to the nervous system activation that we're seeing not just in our kids, but also in ourselves and also at the grocery store with our partners or uh, with our professional colleagues.
0: Okay, I have a million questions. Well, first of all, uh, my primary response to what you just said is that, uh, I'm really grateful to you for coming on because I think you're going to help a lot of people by doing this. And uh, I, I happen to know that you've got a lot of incoming right now uh, in terms of requests for help. So very grateful for you to you for making time at this time. I, I want to make uh, two little comments to amplify some of the things you just said, and then I want to pivot to a question. One of the things you talked about is the opportunity we have At this moment, and and I like that you didn't try to sugarcoat it. This is a difficult moment. It reminded me of something I heard uh, the meditation teacher, uh, Oren Sofer, say the other day when we were doing a live guided meditation, this new initiative we've launched called 10% Happier Live, that we're doing every weekday. And and, uh, Oren was quoting another great meditation teacher, the very famous Thich Nhat Hanh, who talked about sort of the, the sort of viral nature of anxiety that it compare, he, Thich Nhat Hanh compared it to a bunch of people in a boat navigating through a storm. And if just one person on that boat can stay calm, that can spread. And uh, that really is applicable to the family right now. And then the other thing you talked about is this sort of anxiety curve. We, we did a podcast the other day with an anxiety expert at uh, Harvard, uh, Luana Marquez, who is talking about something called the Yerkes-Dodson Law, which is this curve. Basically, her point is anxiety is adaptive. We need it uh, to a certain extent. And 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 the right amount of anxiety gets you to the top of the curve where you're optimally engaged with the world, dealing with the problems. But too much and you get into panic or overwhelm and too little, you get into denial and lethargy. So uh, I really appreciate Uh, everything you said in that, in that opening uh, answer. So now let me pivot to the question, which is, I suspect a lot of people listening to this, especially uh, the parents are thinking, okay, though, that sounds great. How do I actually do that? Especially now when my kids are just uh, attached to my hip at every moment of every day.
1: Yeah. Well, it's never been more important to be able to practice uh, this idea of dropping brief moments of awareness into what you're already doing throughout your day. So there's a general principle for the mindfulness-based uh, practices, all of them. Well, not all of them, but most of them that are used to downregulate. And there are some that are used to upregulate, but I doubt that we're really going to need those right now. So let's stick with the downregulation ones. And the idea of the downregulation stat- strategies is that we become aware, because remember, awareness is key. Awareness is the is the starting gate. For mindfulness and meditation practices. And once you're aware of something, your relationship to it will change. Awareness doesn't get rid of things, but it does change your relationship to things. So let's say that you have a lot of um, incoming, as you said, which is perfect. You got a lot of incoming. You start to notice energy bubbling up or fears bubbling up or frustration or anger bubbling up, or you start to feel snappish. The awareness can interrupt that automatic reaction. And then what you do is you move your attention away from whatever it is you're thinking about to a neutral or pleasant present moment experience. It's that simple. These are called anchor practices and they're called anchor practices because we focus on one thing to the exclusion of all else. There's different types of awareness practices. We can talk about those at another time. But right now, the key for... Nervous system regulation and the idea of taking your bandwidth, which narrows, necessarily narrows, it's a survival mechanism, when we get upregulated to focus more on the difficulties and we have to work to broaden that mental bandwidth so that we can also take in the big picture. So how do we do that? We move our attention away from our thoughts because our thoughts tend not to be our friend at that time to a present moment experience, often a sensory experience. Just feel the feet on the ground, just just for a second if you feel your feet on the ground. Scan your body a bit and notice where there's tension and see if you can just soften it there. If you can feel your hands on on your lap, if you're sitting, if you can feel your breathing, if you can expand your awareness just to listen to the sounds if you're outside, that simple process of moving attention away from your thinking mind into a present moment experience, preferably sent a, a sensory experience, but doesn't have to be, that has a grounding effect. If the sensory experiences aren't working for you, sometimes that brings you too much inside and then that can be a little bit upregulating too and nervous making too. Can do simple things like counting. I'll never forget in your book, Dan, you talked so often about being on early retreats and that handy tool in, out, in, out, just that's focusing. That's an anchor practice. You're focusing on one word in, out, in, out with the breath that's down regulating, or you can focus on a picture in your head. Just bring to mind a picture that of a place where you feel happy and safe. Now, the visualization aspect, bringing mine a picture in your head, isn't so useful when you have a child grabbing your hand, but the idea of staying with a sensory experience is a little bit down-regulating. Also, that's where these tools, maybe you've seen them, whether it's a glitter ball or a snow snow globe, are really handy. Or now they've got these very cool things that look like lava lamps. They're about three inches tall and they're plastic. Having those on your counter, have them on your desk, have them on your kitchen counter. Because in that situation, when you start to feel like you're getting a little bit agitated and you want to ground yourself, but you have kids, you grab the snow globe or whatever the uh, prop is that you're using and you shake it up and you say, mommy's mind looks like this right now. You see all that snow? Mommy's mind, it looks like that. It's a little hard for me to see clearly. So can you do me a favor? Can you just help me? Can you stay with me? Let's watch the snow settle. Let's feel our breathing and then see if that makes us feel a little bit calmer. And in doing that, you do two things. One is you've got, you're, you're engaging with the child so that the child, you're not disappearing from the exchange. You're right there with them. And we know that our nervous system is regulating and co-regulating theirs. So just that healthy, present attachment is huge, huge, huge for helping keep us all calm. And you're also modeling. Mommy's mind gets a little cloudy, too. Mommy gets a little bit agitated, too. And this is what we do. So those are ideas for managing right in the moment how to deal with the nervousness or the anxiety that is just natural to bubble up all the time and not even in a pandemic but we are in a pandemic now so it's uh we might see it a little more
0: so i actually you can see this because we're talking via video chat but the people at home can't see it but i actually my wife got me a buddha snow globe that you can shake actually you have to shake it quite a bit apparently and it's right on my desk and i haven't used it the way you described but i could just let the all the dust settle and use that as an analogy to my mind next time my son is being um, enervating. <laughs> but, but, but but back to the sort of in-the-moment uh, thing you were talking about, this touching base with uh, your senses. Let, let's just get, get super granular about that. Sorry, I'm getting slightly paranoid because I have a jumpy cat that's walking up <laughs> behind me. Let me take that as an example. So I, 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 my, I'm stuck at home with my kid. He's freaking out. My boss is emailing me. A cat is wiping its butt on the rug. And I'm, you know, maybe have had a few turbulent conversations with my spouse. All of this is happening at once. And while you're not offering some miracle cure, the thing that I think you're describing is like a circuit breaker is just for a second, just tune into what does it feel like to have your feet on the ground? Can you take a deep breath? Can you do anything to just stop the momentum of anger, frustration, anxiety so that you can respond with a little bit more calm?
1: Yep. And at times like that, slogans are really helpful. And listen, not everybody is okay right now. So this this is a difficult time for people and some people on, on the very front lines are not okay right now, they have been diagnosed and they're quite sick. But assuming that your listeners are one of the lucky ones, like you and me, and right now we're okay, the slogan, right now I'm okay. So that is like sometimes the first circuit breaker. Right now I'm okay. And then we can we can get caught in thinking, Do I have enough toilet paper? Do I have enough supplies? What's going to happen? How is my wife going to get in with my son from, uh, I know your wife is traveling. Our mind is going to naturally go there and we need it to be able to go there because we need to plan. But we can't go there when that nervous system bandwidth, when our mental bandwidth is narrow because remember that first principle we talked about, we have the capacity to have a nice, wide-open, big-picture bandwidth. But when, our, uh, when we get upregulated as a survival mechanism, our bandwidth necessarily narrows. That's what our minds are supposed to do. But we have to work against that tendency when we are okay to broaden it back out. So that first circuit breaker, right now I'm okay. And then sometimes if you can just scan your body... Uh, starting from the top down, very simple, not a detailed granular body scan. Start noticing places in your body where you're holding tension. Because remember, if your mind is tense, almost always you're going to find tension in your body. So if you, again, move your attention from what you're thinking, move your attention away from your mind to the area in your body where you find tension and relax, then very frequently, your mind will relax too. Minds change bodies and bodies change minds. Fundamental, foundational principle of mindfulness and meditation. So if we're having trouble settling our mind, move it to the body and find the area's attention and relax there. And with that, I bet you, you'll start to feel that openness that we're talking about and the mental bandwidth starting to broaden again. And that's what we're going for.
0: So we've been talking about sort of on the go, in the moment, or what I call free-range meditative techniques. But then there's also formal meditation. And something I hear from parents all the time is, I hear this from everybody all the time, is how do I find the time to do this? Do you have any thoughts on... A, the value of formal meditation, even if just for a few minutes, and B, how we can find time to do that?
1: You might hear an answer that's a little different from me than you hear from many of your meditation teachers. But remember, I came up in this world. uh, My kids are in their late 20s now. So I came up in this world when there was a sense that we all needed to really be legit. You had to practice formal meditation for long periods of time. And that was rough because I was a young mom and that just didn't work for my family. I was lucky if I could get away for a few days on a retreat. I think that formal meditation is extremely important. I practice quite a bit and I go on retreat, but I do not elevate that over brief dropping brief periods of meditation into your day throughout the day. I think the two go together. I, I bet that We have a shared experience that we know people who have spent a tremendous amount of time on long retreat and then come back and you don't see it integrated in day to day. So I think the two together are equally important and I would not uh, elevate one over the other. That said, there's never been a more important time to practice formal meditation. Formal meditation, you've got to just think about it as going to the gym. And frankly, right now, there's never been a more important time for all of us to carve out some time for exercise too. get out in the light, get some exercise. These are very important things if we're going to kind of hunker down for the long haul. So figuring out how to create a routine that has time for formal meditation. And, you know, I'm going to add exercise and good nutrition in there, too. And sleep and sleep. Yeah, Absolutely. And and the meditation and the exercise and the good nutrition, staying away from sugar, <laughs> and I hate to say it, kind of going a little easy on the wine, is going to be easier for sleep. All of that will improve sleep. So that's my general sense is that, yeah, we we need both. We need both the formal meditation and the dropping it in. But I think your question was how and when. And we need to, as parents, and frankly, I'd say as anybody, we need to create routines, and that's key for our kids if we're going to have them at home, and try to stick with those routines. Routines uh, provide a cont- container, they provide clear expectations for what we're going to do, and they contain anxiety. Uh, if you and have a partner who is raising a, your child with you, it'd be great if you guys could figure out, I don't mean you, Dan, but if our listeners uh, could figure out a way to carve out a little bit of time for each of you to get your practice in and also to get your physical exercise in.
0: Well, one other, uh, I totally agree with everything you just said. And I think a lot of people are going to th- feel relieved because I, I think there's a sense of guilt that a lot of people have about, you know, I'm, I'm not doing enough formal meditation and I'm, I'm not going on retreat. And I think we need to give ourselves a break. That stuff is all great and important. And it is exactly like going to the gym And in that it makes you Uh, In my experience, it makes me better able to apply meditative concepts and techniques in the moment if I've got a base of formal practice. But we need to also be realistic about what people's lives are like, especially right now. I would just offer one other practical tip, which is to think about bedtime. You know, uh, if your kids are young and you're putting them to bed, that period of time where you're either lying in the bed with them or sitting in the room with them while they're falling asleep, that's a perfect time. Instead of spinning off into your to-do list or you're running through your grudges, that's that's one of my um, go-tos, to maybe use that time as a meditation, even if you're lying down or spooning with the kid. Another is right before you go to bed. I do this every night right before I go to bed. It just winds me down before i get into the actual bed and there's evidence here that that is a good way to sleep so i would recommend those two techniques let, let's turn to meditating with the kids because that's really something you've done a lot of really valuable work on i uh before we launched into this interview i went on twitter and asked people for some questions and i got we got really good questions so let me just read a few of them to you uh, as it pertains to kids in meditation and, and let you answer them in any way you want. Uh, so one is from Ali or Syrenko or Uh Her question is, how do you get kids interested in meditating? And then I'll just layer on top of that a few similar questions. Zach Pachucha, 10% happier is a phrase that intrigues otherwise skeptical adults like me, uh, to get past the stigma of meditation, is there a similar intriguing phrase that might be better suited for an audience of children or busy parents that don't have time?
1: One of the things that's tough about talking about mindfulness in kids is that it's so age dependent. So what we're doing with little kids is going to be different than what we're doing with 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 uh, with older kids and with teens. but generally the first the first question as far as a or the second question as far as a similar phrase, Uh, I think you can use anything that is in plain English that is in your own family's uh, vocabulary, the kind of things that you do yourself. I would encourage people to stay, not to focus or use the word mindfulness all the time because what happens is the kids start rolling their eyes very quickly. And we're even seeing this now happening in schools that have had mindfulness programs throughout the elementary years. And then the kids get to middle school and teenager and they hear mindfulness and they just, oh, no, please, you know, keep that away from me. So I'd encourage you to use what we What teachers use, which is describe what you're going to do in plain language that is uh, consistent with what your family does, as opposed to say, oh, we're going to play a mindful game right now or we're going to play mindfulness right now. So, for instance, you can say, let's find a way to really feel, you know, if you're feeling upset right now, let's let's see if we can do this to feel uh, to calm down a little bit. And then you bring in some of these very specific purposeful breathing tools to help settle. Uh, So that's just describing what you're doing rather than doing it. You get kids interested. Buy-in comes when they believe that this works. Uh, Buy-in doesn't come when they just get told about it. So that's why it is good to have kids in groups practice because kids are going to learn and believe the other kids more quickly than they believe us. And so that's where the buy-in comes from. And how you get buy-in though if you're at home, is again, and you don't have the benefit of these classes where kids are kids are modeling for one another because you'll always have uh, eager kids who to try it and to tell you how great it is, and then that starts the modeling process, and the kids buy in from each other more quickly than they'll buy in for us. But at home, if you're not don't have the benefit of that, how you. Get buy-in is by showing kids how this works. So instead of calling it mindfulness, when somebody is extremely upset, you just say, breathe in a little bit and breathe out a whole lot. Breathe in a little bit and breathe out a whole lot. Or you do things like square breathing, where you you trace a square with your index finger and you count in two, three, four, as you go up one side of the square hold two, three, four, across, down, two, three, four. You know, So you in, hold, down, hold, four counts at a time. So when you start dropping those in to your experience when they are needed, when they're appropriate, then you later, when the nervous system is settled, remember when that bandwidth has gone from narrow to wide, You can talk about what just happened and say, hey, you know, if we practice those kind of activities, if we practice those kind of tools when we're not upset, then we can just pull them out and use them when we are. So I would suggest that sort of buy-in. The other way that buy-in works, if you're not talking about mindfulness just as a nervous regulation tool, is to bring it into the family and practice together. So the parent may not get too much uh, of his or her own practice in that moment. But if you just sit with the child and practice together for a short period of time and create that as a regular thing to do, uh, the bedtime idea you had is an excellent one. If when the child is going to bed, you perhaps lead them in a guided meditation, you know, a special star meditation where they are feeling the, the beams of the warmth, light of the star, Kind of down their body as a body scan. If you start leading kids in those kind of practices of rocking a stuffed animal or a plush toy on your tummy with your breath, that sort of thing. Uh, during bedtime, that's a way to start bringing practice in without having to ever tell them that they are practicing mindfulness or meditation.
0: Can you say more about both the special star technique and the rocking a stuffed animal technique?
1: The special star technique is is a lot of fun. And again, it's using the same strategy that we were talking about earlier in the podcast, where you are scanning your body uh, with your attention and moving your attention away from your mind. I find it very important to practice like this with children, with your eyes open, sitting next to them. And if they start to feel, if it becomes obvious that they're starting to feel uncomfortable for any reason or that it's just not working, then then just cut the practice short. You can build it over time. But how that base, and also don't require, don't insist that your child lie on his or her back. The child can be in any comfortable position. The child can be lying on a side in fetal position. The child can be sitting up. The child can be standing uh, because there's a lot of really healthy and understandable reasons why kids may not want to lie on their back flat. So give kids a choice. Choice is really important as far as their posture and give them a choice with respect to whether their eyes are open or their eyes are closed. Uh, but with that basic caveat in place, it's really simple. You just imagine that there's a star in the sky and that every one of us has a special star and it's right up there. And then you ask the kids to use their imagination and imagine what it looks like. What color is it? They might want to tell you. Is it polka dotted? Is it, um, does it have sparkles? Is it big? Is it small? What kind of feeling is coming out of it? Is the feeling warm or is it kind of cool? Is it pleasant? All right, now let's imagine that that special star is up in the sky right now. And it has a way of focusing its attention, the star light, the focusing that star light in any way that it wants to. And right now it is beaming a soft light onto your the skull of your head, right onto the top of your head and see if you can feel it. Now imagine that you've got a cap, you know, those knit caps in Michigan, we called them chooks. And imagine that that cap The the light of the star is like that cap. It is just coming down over the top of your head to your ears. Can you feel that? Now leave that cap of attention right there and watch the starlight and feel the starlight move down over your eyes. See if you can soften around your eyes and your jaw and your cheeks. And now to your neck and your shoulders. Just see if you can really feel the light of that star. It's your own special star. And now to your chest. Sometimes it's nice to put your hand on your heart and feel your chest move up and down. See if the light of that star warms up your hand too. Now your upper arms, your lower arms, Your hands and your fingers, to your middle, if you want to put your hand on your tummy right now and feel it move. If you do, make sure your shoulders relaxed. Now the light of your own special star is moving to your upper legs, to your knees, to your lower legs and your ankles, your feet and your toes. Now just lie for a second in the light of your star.
0: So while we're talking actual techniques, and by the way, we should point out that as of right now, the kind folks at uh, Amazon and other online booksellers are still delivering, so you, you can order Susan's book, Mindful Games, which has a lot of this stuff in it. But just just while we're at it, can you talk about this rocking a stuffed animal a technique that you uh, that you referenced before?
1: Mindful breathing in this particular case is an anchor practice. That's remember we were talking about anchor practices before, where you focus on one thing uh, to the, and ignore distractions. So you take any, if it's a child, a favorite, a favorite plush toy. If it's a older child, if it's a teenager or adult, just take any kind of weighted soft surface like a beanbag or if you have a meditation cushion, a meditation cushion or something. The reason we put some weight on the tummy is because it is easier to focus your attention on the movement of your tummy moving up and down if there's a soft weighted object on there. And if it's a, if it's a, a child, it's great if it's a stuffed animal. If it's a very young child, we lead this a little bit different than for the older kids. So
0: And so we've been focusing for the last couple of minutes on meditations that are aimed at younger kids. But what if I'm cooped up in an apartment or a house with a teenager? How would I go about either broaching the subject without meditation without having them reflexively reject it because it's coming from me, their parent? uh and if i can get if i can successfully broach the subject how would i introduce the practice it would be would it be best to do it with them or would it be best to buy them a subscription to an app
1: well in a perfect world it is always best to practice with your child because you know we really i'm sure that there is a benefit to these practices from the app alone but there is an additional you know quantifiable benefit to the relational component of practice so being with them and practicing together is extremely important and with young kids as well when you think of how we regulate and co-regulate one another so it's fantastic if you can practice with your teenager or child or or partner uh, of, you know, regardless of age. Uh, now that doesn't mean a teenager is going to actually want to practice with you. So in that situation, you know, there's a lot of terrific apps out there, including, you know, including yours. And so I think encouraging apps and also seeing whether you can creatively set up a group meditation with chill, with, with teenagers online. So I'm not suggesting we are in person-to-person contact at this particular point in time. I think we're all in different cities where our, the recommendations for getting together are different. But where I am in Los Angeles, you know, we're all pretty close to self-isolating. But that doesn't mean that we are isolated and we can be connected via uh, electronics and so via FaceTime or whatever. So if you can... Somehow, get some kids together to start their own group. uh, I think that would be fantastic so that they're not doing it on their own.
0: Stay tuned. More of our conversation is on the way after this. As they say at Amica, empathy is our best policy. Whether you need auto, home, or life insurance, they're ready to help you protect the things that matter most to you. They're a mutual company, customer owned, in service to you. Amica representatives are here when you need them, and you can take comfort knowing a real person will be there on the phone to take care of you because the greatest measure of their success is your satisfaction. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network network. So let me let me pick up on this thing with teenagers because I just want to go back to this idea that you know te- the job of a teenager is to you know ignore your parent or to separate from the parents. So it's a hard time to like to bring bring up a new idea like meditation especially since tensions already already maybe running high since you're locked in. So w- in terms of starting this discussion with a teenager what what do you recommend?
1: Well, let's go back to the very first thing that we talked about because I think it's the starting place for all of these conversations around how do we respond to people in these trying times. And remember the what we talked about with respect to when we start to get agitated, our bandwidth narrows and we can slip into fight, flight, or freeze. We're all pretty good at identifying when somebody's getting snappish or when somebody's getting reactive. We're less good at identifying, and this is something that is really key for working with teens. We're less good at identifying when teens are shutting down and it looks like they're defiant. So just if we can reframe that, when you see or an inner exchange with your teenager and it feels as if they're pushing back to you and it feels as if they're being defiant, see if you can broaden your perspective to think this might very well be an indication that he or she is overwhelmed. And that shift again, that awareness, remember we talked about just awareness alone will change your relationship to something. That awareness quickly shifts so that you go from being irritated with them to compassion. It just shifts and opens you up to compassion. And when we can love these kids and be compassionate with these kids, even when they are acting out with us, all sorts of there are all sorts of benefits ensue. So that's the first piece when you're starting to have to navigate life with a teenager who seems to be defiant. This is what their brains are telling them to do now. Anyway, they're supposed to be separating. They are pushing back against authority. This is their job right now, and here they are stuck home with their parents. So with that bit in mind, um, with with teenagers first, just invite them. Uh, and also show them, I mean, it's very tough to get a teenager to buy into meditation if they don't see that you're doing it. And it's very tough to get a teenager to buy into meditation if they see you're doing it and you're still running around, you know, like a nervous Nellie. So again, it goes to how our own practice is key before we start you know preaching it we really need to integrate it and when we are not perfect which we will not be there's no such thing as the perfect practice and wisdom does not come from being perfect it comes from being present so when we notice we're not perfect then we are present and all we need to do with these kids is repair all we need to do is go back to them and say hey mom lost it i really'm sorry I apologize, and I want to make sure you know that I am sorry about that, and then see whatever else, if anything, needs to be done to repair. So practice, So the general recommendations for teens: don't just automatically assume the defiant behavior is uh, some kind of acting out. It could very well be a sign of overwhelm. Practice yourself first, and embody those practices, and then third, just invite, invite. Uh, them to join you in your meditation. And if not, uh, introduce them to some of these terrific apps or other online resources and see if they can engage with them. And if at all possible, see if there's a way for them to engage as a group uh, with other kids online or with other kids doing these practices and, you know, somehow checking in with one another via text.
0: Yeah, this is this is all great. And I just wanted to follow it up with a question from uh, from Twitter. This is from Lee Clark. What practice or words can we offer teenagers who are overwhelmed with the uncertainty they're feeling?
1: Remember, we were talking a second ago about those mottos that are very helpful. There's two mottos that are very helpful. One that teenagers uh, have long identified with, which is this is what it is right now. And the other modify the, the other motto that I find very helpful is is that right now I'm okay. So those two mottos are in a very short practice embodying significant foundational themes of the practice of mindfulness and awareness. This is what it is right now. In and of itself, models acceptance. We accept that this. This is happening. We're not going to deny it. Now, accepting isn't the same as giving up. Uh, We still need to do our research and take care of ourselves. But we also accept that right now, this is what it is. But the right now clause in that motto is very important because it implies that this is going to change. And that keys in again to the foundational principle of mindfulness and awareness of impermanence. Same thing right now. I'm okay. So that's a matter of bringing our attention back into the present moment. So it keys into that foundational principle of mindful awareness of present moment awareness. And I'm okay is a way of accepting what the situation is and working to, because remember with our brains and with our survival instinct to focus more on bad news than good news, we have to work to broaden that perspective to include both. So I'm okay now helps us broaden our perspective a little bit. So I think those two slogans are very helpful working with anyone, but especially with teams.
0: Yeah, I like that. The the idea that the clarity, seeing things clearly, understanding, accepting that this is the truth of the situation right now is not synonymous with uh, um, resignation. Um, in fact, it just calms you down so that you can take more effective action once you've taken in the facts of the situation. let let me move on to uh, a question. Uh, We got two questions, uh, one from Rebecca Brommels, the other from Jessica Concepcion about ADD, uh, specifically what are strategies for kids with ADHD and uh, as it pertains to meditation?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question. And it's a great question across the board and not just for kids who have diagnosed ADD, but restless kids. And we're going to be seeing a lot of restless kids who are at home in the house. And remember all of these practices, these mindfulness and these meditation practices are not meant to be solely sedentary. So movement is key. And there is a, and you'll see these again in uh, if you buy you know either the mindful name mindful games book or the activity gar- cards that I did with Annika Harris. You'll see these games where you use movement as a way to self-regulate in many respects. And there's a p- very pr- simple principle here as well. And if you read a great book by. Peter Levine, called Trauma-Proofing Your Kids, uh, you'll read a little bit more about this, that if we do practices where we toggle between movement and stillness, that has a calming effect. So if you are a parent, you have probably seen kids start to run around and you think, this is great. They're, They're burning off nervous energy. And then it gets more and more ratcheted up until it ends in tears. That is what happens when we just allow kids to blow off the nervous system or the nervous energy without some structure. However, if you toggle between periods of movement and then stillness and grounding and movement and stillness and grounding, you can skillfully release nervous energy and then settle back into a grounded place. And this, these kind of moving activities are key for kids who are on the attentional spectrum, on the less regulated side of it. And they're also key for absolutely all of us because what we're talking about when we're talking about anxiety is really an increase, an upregulation in our nervous system. And remember, again, I'm sounding like a broken record, when that happens, our mental bed with necessarily narrows so that we can focus on what seems to be the danger in front of us. It's a very useful survival mechanism, but we have to work hard to be able to uh, get that something dangerous might be happening, but to broaden that bandwidth so that we can see the full picture. And often sitting still is not going to do the trick. White knuckling it through meditation isn't going to do the trick, but Controlled moving activities, especially where you're toggling between movement and stillness, that will be helpful.
0: We've talked a lot about how parents can stay sane and keep their crap together. We've talked a lot about how kids at all, various ages can be helped through mindfulness and meditation. What we have not talked about is relationships between parenting partners. This is a tough time on that front, too. Uh, We're going to do a whole podcast on this issue. But since I have you, do you have thoughts on this area, too?
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it is a tough time, you know, and also on parent, you know, on on partners and on when you have a group of adults in the house. For some reason, if you are self-isolating and it's more than just to, uh, people. I mean, in our house, we have three adults right now. We have my, uh, my daughter in her late twenties and my husband and me, and it is a matter of all of us trying to figure it out. So I go back to these exact same principles that we're talking about. Uh, but I'm going to add one more. And that is this idea of the, the law of reverse effect, which uh, is sometimes called the backward law, and which when I teach, uh, I call Drop the Rope. And I did a series of 30 guided meditations for parents uh, for Sounds True. And a number of these concepts are in these guided meditations, if you want to listen to them. But under Dropping the Rope, it's just how many times do you find yourself in a Exchange, it can be with your kids, but also with your spouse, where nothing terrible would happen if you just dropped the rope, where it's just some kind of a power struggle and it really doesn't matter too much. And the reason to drop the rope isn't just random. The reason to drop the rope is that there's something out of classical uh, practice called the law of reverse effect. And what that actually means is sometimes. The harder we try, the less likely we are to be effective. So that shows up in our relationships and that shows up in our meditation practice as well. So let's first start talking about how it shows up in your meditation practice because when you start to understand this viscerally through meditation practice, then it's easier to do in the moment when you find yourself in a tug of war with your kids or with your spouse. So when you're practicing Often you'll find yourself trying hard to empty your mind or trying hard to work with thoughts or trying hard to uh, make strong emotions workable. And usually if you just let go and again, move your attention away from the working part into relaxation, that is the law of reverse effect. And that's how you get more effective. And a great example of how this works is if you think about floating. If you're teaching a child, or remember when you learned to float, the more you struggled while you were trying to stay on the top of the water, the more likely you were to sink. But once you learned to just lay back and relax, all of a sudden, lo and behold, you were floating. And if you have a few minutes and want to Google instructions to float, you're going to find that those instructions on how to float look almost exactly like meditation instructions. You know, find your center, lay back in the water, relax, and you'll float. So that's true with meditation too. The more we struggle often, the further away we get from that open, expansive stance of awareness. When we start feeling that happen in our more formal meditation practice, then we start seeing how to apply that in real life. And in real life, I can't tell you the number of times I find myself going back and forth with a colleague with a child, with my spouse, with my grown kids, and I realize why am I keeping this conversation going? I'm just gonna let it go, and I drop the rope, and it is a very effective strategy. It usually throws somebody off guard, it surprises them, and then it often ends up just with laughing and with a sense of humor about it so so that would be my my primary suggestion as a first out of the box thing with with spouses is that when you find yourself in a power struggle, just end with your teenagers, just ask yourself, is it necessary that I make this point or I've already made it once? So now can I drop the rope? And when I'm talking about drop the rope, I'm talking about tug of war.
0: Yeah, no. We, this is something we, uh, we talk a lot of, about, you know, among the leadership at Ten Percent Happier. Like, is this the hill I want to die on uh, when we're in a when we're in a power struggle? But the, the trickiness and the titration here strikes me around. You don't want to drop the rope. You don't want to confuse dropping the rope with giving in and being trampled.
1: Yeah, Well, that's the key with all of this, right? Uh, but remember these practices. When properly done and to be properly uh, developed, these practices are practiced uh, with within community and within you know uh, a support structure of other people who may have practiced a little bit longer who can help. Because when properly practiced, these practices build healthy boundaries. We need to have healthy boundaries, especially with kids. Our role with kids is is in a perfect world we want to in some ways disappear when we're talking to them about any social emotional aspect of 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 learning or any meditation it's just like if we are facilitating a meditation group we basically want to disappear and allow the wisdom to come from them if we ask the the questions in a in a in a way that is inviting and they start talking among themselves they're going to come up with the answers that we're hoping that they're going to come up with. So our role as a facilitator is to try to disappear, as a parent, try to disappear and let them tap in to the wisdom that they have inside and the compassion they have inside and let it come up and grow. That again, you were asking about buy-in, that's how buy-in happens. But we have another equally important, possibly more important role in that circle, which is to keep The to contain the anxiety and to keep it safe. And for that, we need healthy boundaries and we need strong boundaries. And again, when you were asking about formal meditation practice, that again is where formal meditation practice comes in very, very handy because just as in going to the gym, it's through the formal meditation practice that we develop the capacity to be able to hold strong emotions and not react to them. And so that's, again, why it's so important, if you can, to carve out time for formal meditation. And if you can't, don't beat yourself up about it. Dropping brief moments of awareness in throughout the day is an equally important aspect of the practice.
0: Okay, final question. Well, there are two final questions I want to ask, because I'm sensitive to your time. One of them picks up on, on the phrase you just used, which is don't beat yourself up. You sent me a list of bullet points of things that are on your mind these days. One of them I was not surprised to see was self-compassion. Can you hold forth on that in this context, please? There's
1: nothing, I mean, there's nothing more on top of my mind right now when I'm running these small groups for parents and uh, caregivers than self-compassion, because we are all really struggling to manage the potential overload that we have coming in from all fronts. It's coming in from all over the place and how are we going to manage it? And so we really need to go back to these basic principles that wisdom is not about being perfect. There is not a perfect parent. There is not a perfect spouse. There is not a perfect coworker or boss. That's not where the wisdom is. The wisdom comes into being present and then being able to integrate self-care into your routine and also when you notice that you may have not been your best self to know you can always circle back when you're feeling a little bit more steady and repair whether whatever that repair might look like so there are self-compassion practices that we can do to help ourselves chill out and those practices do mostly involve stopping whatever we're doing and interrupting what we're doing and really keying into a present moment experience, whether it's you feel the cup of tea in your hands, whether it's you soak in the sunlight, whether it is that you go outside and get a fresher of. Breath of fresh air staying six feet away from all the people around you, except those in your immediate household. Let's not all just hole up inside. We still need to get outside. We still need to get light. Carve out your day. Create a routine that's manageable. Don't expect yourself to become your kid's SAT tutor and math tutor and, and all of that. Um, do the best you can. Create realistic manageable expectations for the whole family that we can be successful for create choice in that schedule that you're creating so that people have choices in what they're going to do during the day routine and those are the things we need to do to take care of ourselves and um, get ready for the long haul
0: final question there's a there's a sentence you you wrote in the aforementioned memo you shared with me that in which you were sort of typing out some of your thoughts on this moment. And I think it's related to what we've just been talking about, but I want to, I'm going to get you to explicate a little bit. Um, don't fight your experience, view your tendencies as strengths rather than weaknesses, even if they don't feel like strengths right now.
1: Yeah, that's key because, you know, there's no better time to beat ourselves up than during a pandemic You know, we can beat ourselves up for any one of a number of the things that we haven't done or that we don't think we can do. And uh, this is not useful, nor is it really consistent with these principles of awareness that we're talking about. All of us, all of us have a reservoir of qualities inside that we can tap into to give us the potential to be our best selves we know that it is tougher to tap into those that reservoir of qualities that are inside all of us when we are overwhelmed or when we're upregulated so again that's why mindfulness first mindfulness is the first step to get us to the point that we can tap into them and recognize those qualities so let's say for example you feel a little bit compulsive. You're one of those people who feels you need to control and you've got to get, you're going to control this situation as best you can. And that is a narrowing of the bandwidth. You can just feel your body relax, your, your body tense up when you start going into that mental place. I'm feeling my body tense up now just talking about it you notice that this strength, the strength to need to be in control, the strength to need to get absolutely every roll of toilet paper you can in the, um, in the garage or in your apartment uh, so that you're safe, that's a very useful t- tendency. That's a great tendency to have because it involves organization, planning, thinking ahead, great executive skills. But you just want to keep it in perspective. So look at it as a strength. And then think, how can I redirect this to make it useful for what is actually happening right here in the moment, as opposed to what might happen in the future? And so that's an example of something that might appear to be getting in your way, that you notice, You keep a sense of humor about it, and then you put on its head into a, a strength.
0: I wrote a book with a guy named Jeff Warren um, uh, about how to meditate. And Jeff is this incredible meditation teacher from Canada. And he advised me to do this thing that I thought was kind of dopey at the time, but is, has turned out to be very meaningful for me, which is to, to notice that, um, and this actually jibes with current psychological theories. Notice that we have several that I, or we all, but in my case, he was talking to me, you, you probably have several modes that you're toggling between in your head. One mode might be uh, sort of a self-centered, ambitious mode. Another might be an anger mode. And then there are also positive modes too, but those are easier to work with. So specifically, this had to do with the things that we don't like about ourselves. So for me, it would be anger or sort of a self-promotion, ambitious thing or uh self-pity or planning all the time and his his idea was you know give these characters names and then when they come up in your meditation or in your life say you know oh hey robert welcome to the party then instead of doing battle with your demons like you're giving the demons a hug that's disarmament And I think that friendliness, that warmth, that sense of humor that you referenced can make a huge difference, especially, you know, in extreme situations like we're in right now. So I just wanted to put a fine point on that.
1: No, that's beautiful. And, you know, you can extend that to your kids, too. Uh, you can have your kids, if they have these demons inside of them, if they do start talking to you about those, uh, you can label them again as animals or as Weird Uncle Harry and have them consider, think of these uh, these strong feelings or these tendencies as guests, like guests at a dinner party. It's a classical uh It's a classical bit of training and, you know, some guests are welcome. Some guests aren't welcome, but we know they're all going to leave. So again, you can integrate into that, this notion of impermanence. So I think that's great. And I love the part about meeting them with friendliness and curiosity. So
0: what was the last thing you wanted to say?
1: The last thing I wanted to say, and I don't know if you're seeing this, Dan, but we're seeing it a lot here of people who are, uh recommended to stay home and to self-isolate who are going out anyway and many of those people are feeling that you know quite proud of the fact that they're going out. Uh, some of them are going out uh who are in uh categories where they are strongly here in here in California if you're 65 or over you have been asked to self-isolate uh because they think that they, are gonna, that they're gonna be okay. This is a risk that they are willing to take. And I think this is another place that the classical teachings of mindfulness and meditation comes in very handy. You know, the reason we practice meditation is because we understand that by taking care of ourselves, we take care of others. And by taking care of others, we take care of ourselves. And especially with caregivers, it's often very, very tough to get them to take time for that formal meditation you and I were talking about until you turn it on on their head and say, hey, you're sitting and practicing for just a little bit. If that makes you a little less neurotic, if that makes you a little bit more open and compassionate, if that makes you a little calmer, that's going to have a ripple effect to help everybody around you. So you're not just doing it for yourself, you're also doing it for others. So the ultimate reason that we practice meditation is to benefit other people. And in so doing, we benefit ourselves. And I think we need to apply that to this idea of self-isolation and limiting contact. We're sure we're doing it to help us stay safe. But for those of you who are feeling like parents and caregivers so often do, I'm going to take on this risk because I feel that uh, I can do it. Please explain that idea to realize by staying home, you're helping others. And there's all sorts of resources online. And Dan, you might be offering them too about flattening the curve. And that's because our staying home, while might seem like a selfish act, actually has a ripple effect of benefiting others. So this idea of not me, us, A foundational principle in mindfulness and meditation, along with interdependence, has never been had more practical uh, application, I think, than now.
0: I totally agree. As the hashtag on Twitter says, stay the F home. Um, (laughs) uh, You uh, are a font of wisdom, and I am very, as I said at the beginning, uh, and, and feel even more so now, grateful to you for spending all this time with us. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you. And I'm grateful for you to getting all this out there. People need to stay connected. And I love the way that you're making these offerings available for people. So thank you. My
0: pleasure. Okay, big thanks again to Susan Kaiser Greenland. And a reminder, check out her book, Mindful Games. It's actually both a book and a set of activity cards, which she did, along with Annika Harris. Um, Susan and Annika, actually, when that book and the activity cards first came out, they were on this show. So you can go back and listen to that as well. Um, Also worth pointing out that Susan did a series of guided meditations called Mindful Parent, Mindful Child, designed for busy parents. There are 30 guided meditations, and they're available through a company called Sounds True. Before we go, a few other things. Don't forget to check out our new 10% Happier Live every weekday at 3 Eastern, noon Pacific. Uh, You can do it at 10% dot com slash live. The link is in the show notes, and uh, we'll be back Friday with another episode. Uh, that we're going to be as as mentioned at the top, we're going to be doing this twice a week during this crisis. Big thanks to the team that always works so incredibly hard on this. Ryan Kessler, Samuel Johns, Grace Livingston, and all the folks at Ten Percent Happier and ABC that are making all of this work possible during this time. See you soon. If you like Ten Percent Happier, I hope you do.
1: And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now, in hardcover or digital editions, wherever you get your books. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition.